This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. So working at the lottery, we had a somebody bought a ticket, won $16.5 million, and they didn't show up. And so we did investigate. We said, hey, now's the time to show up. Well, then somebody showed up and just said, well, they didn't show up. They called and said, hey, I'm going to send you the ticket. You send us the money. Ding, ding, ding. Nah, nah, we're not going to do that. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to today's episode. You know, one of the rarely discussed dark sides in the world of work occurs when ethics or fraud violations occur. And, you know, when you're the leader over a department where these violations occur, it sometimes is like a punch in the gut when you learn about it. This is the time that human resources and legal are frequently brought in to investigate. You might find yourself right across from some of the company executives having some really hard conversations. And then frequently as a result, new policies, course corrections, and sometimes even the firing of staff are quite common as well. And unfortunately, we're just not taught how to handle such challenges while we're in school or, you know, there are very few special courses around that. And having to learn in the moment is so challenging. However, my guest today is not only an expert in addressing ethics and fraud violations in the workplace, but he also headed the team that cracked the largest lottery fraud in the United States history. Terry Rich is the founder of Rich Keynote, LLC, and he's an international speaker on the topics of ethics, fraud, and innovation in the workplace. He is such a fantastic storyteller, as you're going to see, but he has tons of nuggets that you would want to be sure to add to your leadership playbook. And be sure to listen to the end of the episode when I will have my closing segment called Karen's Take. And this is where I share a tip on how to use some of the insights from today's episode to further your leadership acumen. And now enjoy the show. Hello, superstars. This is Karen and welcome to another fantastic episode on the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. I am super excited and thrilled to have on today's show, Terry Rich, who is an expert and speaker on a variety of topics, as you which you'll soon learn. But in particular, what we're going to delve down on is the areas of innovation. And he has a fascinating story related to ethics and fraud in the workplace. And believe it or not, that is a lot more common than you may know of, unless you're in kind of the HR space or was a leader who had to deal with that. So I'm really excited to talk to Terry and have him share some nuggets of information with you. So welcome to today's podcast, Terry. Thank you. I am proud to be here. 
Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. (laughs) Well, before we delve into your tremendous background and some fantastic stories that you're going to share, for as much as you feel comfortable, I'd love for you to share with the audience a little bit about your personal and professional life, like where you grew up and what have you, and a bit about your professional journey. And then we'll dive into some of those great topics I mentioned. You know, many people, when they uh, go into it, think they're going to work for someone all of their life. You get out of school, you go to work, and you'll be there. My dad said, retire, and you'll find your happiness. And I realized happiness happens on the way to success. So I'm like all over the walls, but I always made the decision of when I transferred. So let's get started. I started on a farm, and we had no money. Last name was Rich. We were rich with the family. I mean, we always were happy. Everybody's giggling. We always had a good time when we got together with the grandparents. I went to school at the University in Iowa and then uh, came out in cable television. My friends were in broadcast, but I spent 20 years in cable television. And I had a couple life-changing theories there. One was I did a promotion for my local hometown and landed on the Johnny Carson show. He talked about doing satellite uplinks back before satellites were cool. So when I was in the cable television, I started doing satellite HBO free previews where you see HBO and then call now to order, that type of thing. I was on camera. And lo and behold, uh, about halfway through, the company I thought I'd be there when I was this age, no, the group came in and tried to buy them out, do a hostile takeover. And so we cashed out. And all of a sudden, at age 40, I had all the money that I ever hoped for in my life, plus uh, all of this fame and fortune for being on TV. And I thought, geez, what do I do next? So I started my own company. And so I started three or four different companies, and we did these free previews for all the different HBOs, stars. I was on camera for many of the national networks. And I did that for about 10 years and started a couple other shows and bought and sold a radio station. But at age 50, midlife crisis. So I thought, I got to get off the road because, man, we were doing so much. It was great money, all the sort of things. But I wanted to do something as a give back. And I got a call from a former governor who said, hey, the city's about to close the uh, state zoo. Would you be interested in going in and trying to get it turned around? So who, you know, I grew up on a farm, but who gets to help with giraffes and tigers? I said, okay. So we turned it around from a $600,000 deficit per year, put it in the black and raised $15 million. So that zoo's around forever. Just had a great time doing that. And then we got a call from a governor who said, hey, uh, the lottery director is resigning. You love marketing and promotion. I like speaking. So he said, would you be interested in running the lottery? So over 10 years, I got to give away almost a well over a billion dollars in prizes. Plus, we had something that completely changed what I do in management. Everything's fun and marketing, all that sort of thing. We busted the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history. And so that's been kind of a legacy here. And I learned so much about how important it is to have the accounting people in your organization and the legal people and checks and balances that protect your reputation. So now I'm retired and I'm on the road talking about that fraud and how to save your companies with the checks and balances and also on how to come up with new ideas. You just need a jumpstart in trying to look and do something new. So it's been an unbelievable life and ending with this professional speaking all across the world, which is so fun because uh, you fly in, you do something and spend a couple extra days and learn more about uh, all of our great society. Oh, I think you and I are kindred spirits. I do the same thing when I go and speak. I always stay a few extra days to get to know the areas and know the people. I sometimes bring the family over because I travel the world similar to you. So what an amazing career you've had thus far. But it doesn't sound like you're stopping anytime soon. So, 
that's fantastic. And what I will also say, I have a really good friend. We've talked a little bit before we got started about the lottery, but I have a really good friend who spent numerous years helping lead the lottery draw in here in the state of Georgia. And of course, a lot of it was top secret and things she couldn't talk about, but she mentioned how important it was to follow rules and regulations and how it's a you know very regulated industry and things that they're you know they're always watching out for funny business if you will. <laughs> so I would love for you now, Terry, if you could share a little bit about the story around how you all discovered the fraud. And my listeners, I want you to kind of listen through the story because although he talks in particular about the lottery, as I mentioned, there's a lot of fraud, and I have stories I could you know share as well uh, that. Fraud at different levels occurs at all organizations in some way, shape, or form. So keeping all leaders need to sharpen your acumen and how to keep your eyes and ears peeled and listening to the ground to kind of track some of those traits or warning signs. So take it away, Terry, and tell us a little bit about that fraud story. Here's nugget number one. So working at the lottery, we had a somebody bought a ticket, won $16.5 million dollars. And they didn't show up. And so we did investigate. We said, hey, now's the time to show up. Well, then somebody showed up and just said, well, they didn't show up. They called and said, hey, I'm going to send you the ticket. You send us the money. Ding, ding, ding. Nah, nah, we're not going to do that. Right. Very short. After four years of investigation, we realized it was someone from a vendor that served our lottery who had an IT person who wrote the program, compiled the program. He had all the keys of the kingdom to actually come up with the numbers in a computer drawing to win this jackpot. And ultimately, it was such a good investigation that he, his brother, and his friend all pled guilty and were sentenced up to 25 years in prison for this largest lottery fraud in U.S. history. But here are the lessons, I think, that if you're a small business or a small organization, think about small churches, who's the church secretary who counts the money and takes it to the deal. You know, you hear about them stealing all the time or in the school districts, any organization, if you don't have the right checks and balances. Now, here's the nugget. National Association of Certified Fraud Examiners talk about a triangle. There are three things that will set you up for internal fraud. People worry about hacking, but you got to worry about internal fraud too. Number one, financial need. Now, Karen, you and I like to have money. We want more money. But financial need happens when you have a really good employee and all of a sudden they get a divorce. They go into bankruptcy. They have a drinking problem, gambling problem. And all of a sudden, I've got to get more money. And they get desperate. But they can't steal unless the other two things come together also. And those other two things are, number one, opportunity. So if you're the accountant and you write the checks and you write the POs, that you're ripe for opportunity. I mean, you have all the keys to the kingdom, right? So that means that you as the leader of the organization or down below, you want two checks. So you have your two signatures. You have checks and balances. So opportunity is the second. The third one is rationale. At what point does the devil on your shoulder said, nah, you really could do this because Joe or Sue over here is making more money than you are. You deserve it. If all of those three come together, you're right for fraud. And that's what happened in this case. The gentleman who did this, number one, his brother was thinking about getting a divorce. His friend who he helped get money had a big uh, security exchange commission case against him, owed $2 million. This gentleman had a big house he was trying to pay off for. And so they had the financial need. 
The second is this person had the opportunity. He wrote the code, he compiled the code, he put the code into the computer, and he oversaw the drawings so that he could do this. And very rarely in the lottery industry, this just doesn't happen anymore. All these checks and balances have been corrected. And then finally, rationale. When we did the, when after he was sentenced, we asked, why did you do it? We wanted to know that. Is it happening anywhere else? He said, well, you caught all the ones that we got, but he said, they worked me too hard. It was a small organization. I was working nights. They were calling me when I was on vacation. And so the point is, appreciate your accountant, appreciate your legal folks, and appreciate the checks and balances that you have within an organization. Make sure you do that. And one final story in all of this that really brought it home to me, there was a business manager in a county in our state who the county supervisors decided, you know, we're small, we don't have enough money, let's have this person actually oversee two counties rather than one. Sounds logical, lower overhead. So they did, and this one supervisor in one of the counties at most meetings never read his papers or anything, but he always vote, and he was always crusty, you know, old guy who was just mad at the world. But he would say once in a while, you ain't stealing anything, are you, to this business manager. You know what? She stole hundreds of thousands of dollars, but not from his county. And the rationale for her was, remember that devil on the shoulder? The angel kept saying, you know, that person asked, he's probably going to check sometime. So just once in a while, having an overview, say, we need to have an audit. We need to look at these things are very important within an organization. So that's the story of the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history and how we busted him actually with that lottery ticket, two hot dogs and Bigfoot. Oh, tell us about the hot dogs and Bigfoot. Uh, I thought I'd leave that in for you too. Thank you, Karen. Hot dogs. You see, when Eddie went on trial, he was found guilty the first time just for our state, but they wanted a character witness so that he didn't get charged with too many years. So they brought up his brother who actually was part of the deal. They were dumb enough to bring up the person who was putting him on stand with the, you got to tell the truth, the whole truth. And he said, wait a minute, the video I saw, that ain't my brother. My brother, he don't eat hot dogs. That guy was ordering hot dogs. Well, Eddie, the guy who did it, was probably between three and 400 pounds. And everybody goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This guy doesn't eat hot dogs. And an AP reporter put that in his article, sent it out on the National Wires, and an FBI agent said, wait a minute. The brother who was up testifying, I busted them or tried to on money laundering, and he said he won the Colorado lottery. So they called up to our prosecutors, and long story short, if Eddie hadn't bought two hot dogs and the guy, his brother, hadn't been on the stand saying two hot dogs, we'd have never caught it. Ironically, his brother also messed up in that he was a Bigfoot hunter. And they used Bigfoot associates to go cash some of the lotteries they did. The Bigfoot hunter was not quite smart enough that when he won the lottery in Colorado, he got the money in cash because the brother didn't want his wife to know that he won it. Gave him 90% of the cash, which was the deal in sequential order and decided, I might get caught with this. I better try to money launder this. So he took it to a fireworks dealer to exchange some $100 bills. Fireworks dealer got nervous and called that FBI agent. All of that had to happen for us to bust this, or he probably would still be doing it today. Wow. What a tale. What a true tale and story around that. There was. I want to say one other thing. The reason I tell the story and I'm out on the road telling the story, I don't want anybody to have to go through this. Simple procedures, very simple that when you hire somebody, I don't like policies. I'm a rebel. I don't, I don't like to follow rules, but policies and procedures are important. If you have a policy which basically says when you're hired, if you steal, you will be caught and you will be prosecuted. Just put that in or we use may just because you never know the circumstances. But just by saying that, 
gets that devil on the, or the angel on the shoulder saying, hey, you better not do that. You know, remember you signed that deal or having two signatures helps that. So those are some easy lessons that will save you grief in the long run because it, truly it took six years and a lot of mental anguish to get through this entire process and investigation. Oh, I totally can understand that. I'd like to pull back the layer of onion just a little bit. After this experience, can you share how the organization ended up pivoting to kind of help prevent this in the future? Because obviously there weren't enough guardrails to start with for it to be as immediate apparent. Was it just implementing policies or were there? It was as simple as dividing up responsibilities so one person compiles it so that, you know, usually it's loose lips sink ships. That's why people who commit fraud typically don't have four or five people in. You try to do it by yourself or by one. So a lot of policies have changed. I feel very comfortable. I don't work for the lottery now, so I can play the lottery. Guess what? I spent a lot of money. Well, not a lot of money. I usually play the Powerball and Mega Millions and they're big and I've won $4. And you wow, probably heard about you're rich. one of the later Powerball <laughs> jackpots and, the, and it sounded like there must be fraud. It wasn't at all. It was because they were taking the time with all their checks and balances that when something didn't happen, and that was that they had one state, there are two computers in every lottery that have to match exactly how many people bought the tickets. And those are put in two separate places or handled by two different people. And those two have to send it up to a third party to make sure that the numbers exactly match. One didn't match. And so all of the policies and procedures kicked into gear. And because it was such a large multi-billion dollar jackpot, it took a lot longer for those computers to process and to find those. And once they merged, purged everything, they found exactly where the problem was, fixed it, and away they went. So those are the kind of things the lotteries have. And I think the lotteries are run by each state. I really like the way that it's set up. And it's a heck of a lot better than playing or gaming with someone from Malta doing uh, poker or something like that. You know, you can talk to your governor, you can talk to your representative about the lottery. Absolutely. I want to share just a really quick story just to augment yours and the points that you've made. I have a client that I was brought in to do an investigation and work with their legal departments. I'm an enterprise level client. And there was an employee who had a corporate credit card and they called themselves having checks and balances, but it was kind of loosey-goosey where there weren't flags on spending within a month. It was only after the invoices would come in. And so this one employee in less than a month ran up over $750,000 of charges. And to your point about the why, we actually called in the FBI because it was at a federal level theft. And I sat in on the investigations and what have you. But the employee said was that they were going to through a difficult divorce. He wanted to impress his wife who was, they were separated at the time. He wanted to impress the kids and he bought any and everything he thought he could to win them back. And, you know, you name it, cars, wow. vacation homes. What, exactly. You know. Desperation. <laughs> Desperation. And so they did end up actually prosecuting him. And of course, um, they did have a sound policy in place. So, of course, they fired him, but then also prosecuted as well. But that's another, you know, real world example. Here's another nugget for you that goes to the piggies backs to that. I think it's 65% of most people who create fraud within an organization have never created it before. 
And those, I think it's only like 50% of people who create fraud have actually been prosecuted. You find somebody's doing something, you want to say, just fire them. You know, we don't want lawsuits. Let's just get them out. Tell them they've got to resign and get them out of here. Well, what do they do? They go to the next place and then they create fraud there, right? So it is kind of important in my mind to do that prosecution. The number one place that people find fraud that prevents fraud is employees, vendors, and anonymous tips. You should make sure everyone knows if something doesn't feel right, you can go to the HR department or the legal department and put that and make that very obvious because that'll make you think in that rationale, wait a minute, I better not do it because Joe over here might know that I'm doing something. And that would prevent that. But that tip hotline actually saved us because we held the video of the purchase for almost three years. And then when we released it immediately, someone said, I know who that is. So anonymous tips are also important within an organization. That'll save you a lot of money and time and effort. It sure will. And that's one thing I always recommend is to have an ethics or a tip line for and make sure that it's in, integrated into the company, you know, onboarding and reminders every year when they have to do compliance training and things like that. So people know You're right how, on to, yep. <laughs> how to do that. Absolutely. Well, I definitely don't want you to get off the episode without us pivoting ourselves to some of the great work that you've done on innovation and you're thinking around that and why yeah, that is so important. you're talking my language now. <laughs> I'll give you a couple of basics. I love doing brainstorming. I love coming Me up with a new too. idea. If I can make it in, a 50, in 10 minutes to the grocery store, I want to make it 9.58 the next time. I'm always looking for things that might anything with it around me that I could maybe try to figure out how to improve. And that's how you come up with new ideas, how you make the next million dollar idea. And I use the example of going out. I learned this in my 40s or 50s. I learned this when I went to Napa. And I thought that the people who made wine just took the grapes from behind and put them together and they had a word. No, no. They go out and they go all over the valley because there are different temperatures and different soil conditions each year. And they get a bushel basket and they come up, just assume it's a hundred new grapes to figure out which is the best. When you're brainstorming, you want to divide it in a two-step process. Step number one is to get a hundred ideas. Get your group together, put together a hundred ideas, and then everybody gets together and prioritizes where those are. You want the 100 ideas from accountants, lawyers, you got to avoid the no man. So when you're brainstorming, you got to say, no judge. Somebody starts going, we tried that before, all that. No, 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 no. Every idea is a good idea because your accountants and lawyers will complain unless they get to contribute and they know every idea is a good idea. You put that in the bushel basket, then you take step two, which is that was daring to dream, then you dare to act. You prioritize those with the group. And number one, two, or three will have the whole group buy-in, and now you really have the momentum to come up with that new idea. Now, that bushel basket has to be as diverse as possible. You don't just get all the red grapes or the green grapes or whatever. It's so important that if everybody around you, you when you're brainstorming and coming up with a new idea, look like you, you're, I mean, today's world is so diverse, and you're able to come out and you have a much larger audience to make that much more money. You want to be sure that you have as diverse a group, all of that when you're putting together the ideas and evaluating those when you do it. But then you go to individual ideas. I often wake up in the middle of the night and I have a pencil and paper beside my bed to write down ideas. You want to write down all ideas because you forget them, especially at my age. And in that, we came up when I started working for the state. It took me many years. I try to learn something new every year, but this is what I learned when I was in my 50s. State employees, I walked in, I got kind of excited. Should we paint the, the wall yellow? Uh, let's put animals. What animal could we put on the lottery ticket? You know, this, that. And they melted down. I'd see them and they'd just be like, what's going on? Well, we can't do everything. And I realized a king says, oh, poop. And everybody says, oh, we got to go to the bathroom. That's what the king says, you know? So what you do is 
we decided how can we communicate better on what an idea is versus of this is your job changing. I want you to do it. So we came up with the word COT, COT. What we tell everybody when you're doing an email to someone, you want to give them an idea and get it off your chest because you've had this for a while. You write one of three things, action required. And I did that for about 1% of everything I did. Action required means job changing. You should do it. I want you to do it. The next one is FYI, for your information, which means read it sometime. We're going to discuss this. It's important, but it isn't the priority today. And the final one, which really sets it off, and I do about 60% of it, is COT, consider or throw away. Now, what that means, and you got to make sure everybody knows the rules. If I send you something with COT, if you're busy, if you're in the middle of a big project, you can simply hit delete. You don't have to read it at all. All I'm trying to do is just get ideas off my chest, knowing that they probably would read it because of the boss. And COT, then you don't consider, and if you've got good ideas yourself, that's good. Don't reply to me. Great idea. Don't be sucking up to me as the boss. Just say, don't even reply that you got it. I just know you have it. Well, what they did, which was amazing to me, they started sending me all these great ideas, but they also took it to their employees. So you imagine a receptionist who's tried to come up with a really good idea because the chair up front stained, it's breaking, somebody's going to get hurt. And so they finally meekly write it out because they don't want to get fired if the boss doesn't like the idea and they put it in the suggestion box. And then two weeks later, no one's read it or if they have, it's been sent around a little bit to get back to them. They'll say, management never listens to me on idea. So now that person can send it to me, the boss or anybody else and have no restrictions, no judgment. They're able to send ideas out and not worry about it. They know I'll probably read it, but I don't feel obliged because I don't want to hurt their feelings because they're an employee, a good valued employee. So they know that I'm not going to get back to them, but they finally have an easy way to give ideas and to get ideas, get it off the chest. And as the person receiving them, I don't have to feel guilty that I have to immediately reply or say yes or no at all. And all of a sudden it became such a much more innovative environment as we went on that. And we came with all sorts of great million dollar ideas. And I'm going to give you a million dollar idea that I have today that I know will work. I just haven't got it figured out how to do it yet. We can do that. Please do. <laughs> We're going to tease them to stick them around. All right, Karen? Right. <laughs> so that's caught. That's what consider a throwaway. And already I may hopefully have had 10 or 12 nuggets that somebody got one out of. And that every time I get around and work with people, I'm all over the board. I don't do drugs. I drink a Diet Coke, which probably gets me hyped up. <laughs> I love doing lots of ideas and hoping one of them stick. I love that as well. And I hadn't heard of the consider or throw away. So I love that. And we're definitely going to add that to our leadership playbook. And being an organizational effectiveness expert, what I think was so brilliant about what you did with that is when you rolled it out, you helped people understand what it truly meant so that a non-response did not equate to, I don't care. Yeah, It gave permission to, like you said, get ideas off their chest. No, it got to the right person. You say it that way, you know. Right. (laughs) We're not trying to get action today. We're trying to just fill the bushel basket. Yes. You know, we'll take some of the best ones and kind of circle back if it makes sense. Work together and prioritize what works best for the accountant, for the lawyer, for everybody. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I'll show you how that worked at the zoo. Please. We did it with a main group and we talked about, we don't have any money. When we started, they're losing a lot of money. We don't have any money to build a $2 million exhibit. What could we do? And so we thought, we have all the kids, 10 and under. What about young adults? What are they like? And, of course, the young adult over here, the millennial, said, booze. They said, okay, well, let's sell booze. So we did a zoo brew, which means that at night we left that open. No kids got to come, just young adults. We put in a band, had the animals out. 
and they were averaging $250,000 in revenue off the booze those evenings. So it started to turn it around. And then we looked around and said, well, we can't build the big exhibit. What do we have a lot of that's free? Hmm. Poop, animal poop. So we got an exhibit called Scoop on Poop, where kids could come in and giggle. That's what tiger poop looks like, or that's what this looks like, or that looks like. All of a sudden, we had everybody coming in. But then we realized that we had a lot of tiger poop that we were just throwing away, that in our state, we have a lot of white-tailed deer. White-tailed deer eat a lot of flowers. But for some reason, deer have the natural instinct of what a predator versus prey is and that a tiger is a predator. And when they smell tiger poop, they boogie they out. Away. The flowers. So we started selling tiger poop for $20 a gallon Stop. and sold about $20,000 that summer in tiger poop. You know, there are so many things that you can improve upon. And when you go into a job, don't think I'm going to take over and be in charge. Think the people before me built these bricks and built this institution foundation the way it is. I get to add my brick, brick. my ideas and my execution to build it even to a better. And when you get replaced and take off, then you can say to the next person, you get to do your brick and be very proud of what you've done. I love that. That's so important. And speaking of adding a brick, as you know, I wrote a book on some of the top tactics of leadership execution. And I always love to ask my guests, which of the top seven that we wrote about kind of resonated for you, if any of them. And I'd love for you to share. Let's talk about executive and the oversight and what's going on. One of the executive presence, executive presence. Yes. What does that mean to you? Really, really, really simple to do. Very easy to do. And that is when you're standing beside an employee highest to the lowest level within your organization, and they're proud, they hope, and you meet somebody important and they're with you. And sometimes people would say, Hey, this is uh, Sally. She works for me and on and on and on and on. I really realized and saw the reaction that I wanted when I would say, this is Sally. I work with her. And all of a sudden, Sally feels important with me that I would acknowledge that we work together and that it's just not me dictating and she's the little minion that runs around and has to execute it. It is so important that you acknowledge and respect people within your organizations that have success, but also the people, we mentioned this earlier, to say thank you to the people for the oversight because they get no recognition. And the people, if someone fails, is to help them in saying, you tried something new. We want that in organization. We want innovation, but let's twist it and see if we can make it work now and work with them. The rewards are so amazing as a leader and an executive when you can do that. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing about that, Terry. That's amazing. This is fun. I appreciate the offer to come on. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to roll into our final segment, which is called uh, Full Disclosure. And first of all, there will be no gotcha questions. Let me just say that up front. We just always like to share a couple of fun things personally about all of our guests. So my first question to you is, what is something that most people don't know about you that you won't mind sharing? My first failure. I was on TV, just started in cable television. I looked up. I didn't have a five o'clock shadow. And so I decided to write uh, Gillette and tell them how much I love their track two razor, thinking I would get a national TV commercial. And for the two weeks, I figured I'd get a reply in two weeks. I'd be headed for New York. In those two weeks, I felt like most people do when they play Powerball or Mega Millions. What if? What if? And it started my dreaming. And two weeks to the day, I got the letter back. Said, Dear Mr. Rich, expressing your complete satisfaction with your track two razor. 
We thank you for writing, but you're out the wrong company. Schick makes that. Here's their address. Oh, oh my God. no. That inspiration to be on national television helped me do some promos and ultimately get on the Johnny Carson's Tonight Show and many, many other networks, almost every cable and broadcast network I've been on, all because I failed. And failure is the first step to success. Oh, I love that. Wow. You have the best stories. I've got to learn storytelling from you, Terry, because uh, you can tell that you're an expert. My uncle was a great storyteller. I think that's where I got it in my genes somehow. So what is one of your favorite ways to decompress? Because you're always out there talking, traveling, hanging out. Wow. You know what? I'm asked often, what would you do if you were 21? What would you tell someone who's 21 again? I said, number one, always raise your hand. Bathroom needs to be clean. Volunteer and do it because you'll be noticed by the boss. Always volunteer. Some Nobody else wants to do it. That's the time to raise your hand. The second is what I failed at. You must have looked me in the eyes and said, I'm going to ask this question. I wish I'd learned how to relax more. Because when you have success in a business or an adventure, you always are looking for it again. It's like cocaine, man. I just I love trying new ideas and doing that. Damon John, who's on Shark Tank, had probably the best thing I've heard so far that I've been trying. And that is, he was writing down, I worked with him for an event one time and he was writing down things. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I've got five items. I do it before I go to bed and I do it when I wake up. Wow, you get that many million dollar ideas? He said, no. He said, these are ideas. He said, I've been successful. These are ideas for me. I'm writing down things that will make me happy tomorrow. I just want to do three or four things because it puts me in the mood to be more successful in what I do. Wow, that's a great way to take the next step. Wow, I might have to try that one myself. I always have either the notes thing on my phone or pad or pencil because my brain never shuts off hardly. And I'm always, oh, I love that. But I've never thought about it. Not all of them are good. You're trying to get the hundred to get the one good one. That's right. Think about this. People who are project managers have it all laid out. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to do. Did you know that when we sent three men to the moon, they failed 95% of the time? If they'd had a project manager in charge, it would have said, okay, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, blast off. Okay, good luck. We'll see you in two weeks. But no, as soon as they take off, they're course correcting over 90% of the time. Well, the one thing that I don't do, though, which this is what I took away from your story with Damon, is I don't put what I want to do. That's right. Not even one thing. That's not selfish either because you find, and I'm superstitious, my first big gig that I made mucho, mucho dollars I had a lucky McDonald breakfast. I just went in and had it, but I made it my lucky breakfast because I had a big deal. And every time today that I have a big deal or I'm going to do a big TV appearance, I have my lucky breakfast because it puts me in the state of mind. And that's exactly what his list did for him. Did it. Well, I have a playlist that I use when I'm like psyching myself up to go and speak. Do you? (laughs) Oh, I love it. Mine's, oh, it's a mix. It's between, I love world music. So either world music or rap or country or R&B, I just, you know, just a different feel just gets me going. So (laughs) music is amazing. It is. Well, oh my gosh, literally, I blinked, Terry, and we're needing to wrap up the podcast. But before you go, I just want to really thank you so much for your time. Not even one nugget, about 150 nuggets of information. (laughs) And uh, we really appreciate that. And for our audience listeners, 
of course, you know, to go check out our show notes. I'll have a ton of information about Terry there and where you can find him on the web. He's only a click away. And if I can personally give an endorsement, he would be a fantastic addition to your next either leadership team meeting session. He has a ton of topics he can talk about and he can tell how engaging he is. So thank you once again, Terry, for joining the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. And any last closing thoughts before we let you go? No, let's just keep having fun in life. That's my motto. Let's do that. Agreed. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, listeners. And we'll see you on the next show. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Terry Rich, founder of Rich Keynote, LLC. Links to his bio, his entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform and at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of ethics and fraud in the workplace. You know, employee fraud is much more common than most leaders realize. And according to PwC's Global Economic Crime and Fraud Survey, they found that 46% of organizations reported that they had experienced some type of fraud in the past 24 months. That is incredibly insane. And you know, fraud can manifest itself in many forms, but I wanted to share four of the most common types of which you probably should be aware. The first is theft. And this involves the misuse of company assets, such as swiping office supplies, uh, misusing company vehicles, and using corporate credit cards for personal purchases. It also includes benefits fraud, such as using sick days when you're healthy and adjusting timesheets to show that you're present when you're actually absent. The next type of theft that's common in the workplace is embezzlement. This is all about the misappropriation or skimming of cash, which involves pocketing cash before it's entered into something like the cash register or an accounting system. It can also include payroll schemes, duplicate expense reimbursements, fake billing, and the tampering of checks. The third next most common type of fraud is corruption. And corruption covers a wide bucket of illegal behavior and is the second most common type of employee fraud in the world. But it it can include things like bribes, kickbacks, shell companies, and product substitution. And then the last type of fraud I wanted to highlight is data theft. We're all very familiar with that, but it is very common and leaves companies who rely on intellectual property for their products or services, it leaves them very, very vulnerable. The Association of Certified Fraud Examiners estimates that the median loss of a company that suffers a single person type of fraud is about $80,000. But when the fraudulent activity involves two or more perpetrators, the median loss climbs to about $200,000. And when incident occurs with four or more perpetrators, the estimated costs rise to more than half a million dollars. So if and when you're ever faced with an ethics or fraud situation, be sure to start with contacting your local HR department or your local legal department immediately so you can start figuring out what to do next. And if your company does not have the capabilities for that, you definitely should consider hiring a professional investigator of some type 
There are many companies that help with that, including Shockley Different Leadership. So if you're ever in the need of such services, head on to our website at shockleydifferent.com and submit a request for more information and we'll get you right to a specialist. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now. 